Excited for a new sermon series. Guys, that works perfect distraction. I had to grab the clicker really quick. A little bit winded now. But hey, really excited to be with you. Really excited for this new sermon series. Youth Revival. Yeah. All right. So here's what we're talking about. What is revival? Guys, this, this um, I don't know if you've seen, like, uh, the New York Times did an article on the Asbury Revival that just happened not too long ago. But people talk that out there like, this revival happened, that revival happened. What in the world is revival? And I was scratching my head wondering what the definition of revival is, not just in preparation for this, but weeks ago, because if we throw out this term, we want to see revival, we want to pray for revival. If you spent any time in church, you've probably heard someone who's older than you. Oftentimes, these individuals come to the prayer meetings all the time, and they're kind of that extra spiritual person, and they, they like to pray for revival, but what even is it? So I pulled out two really simple definitions that you can find throughout the Bible in reference to revival. Uh, number one is an awakening from God. So we've heard of, uh, we've talked about spiritual awakening. We've talked about diving into our Bibles. We've talked about prayer. We've talked about the Holy Spirit this year. Uh, if you haven't been with us for those, you can always listen back to them. But hey, awakening from God. And then two, the Holy Spirit reviving our hearts. So if you look into the Psalms and some of the different passages, um, David will cry out and he'll say, um, make, in, make my heart new, make me new, or revive my heart, awaken my heart, awaken my soul. We sing in worship songs all the time, awaken my soul to all that you are, awaken my heart to, to the things that you have for me. And so as I'm Diving into these different things, um, you can go with maybe a more uh, literal definition of what is revival. So in many cases, when revival is similar to um, the one that broke out on the Osbury campus, and we were probably a month and a half or so removed from that, but I'll just give you a quick outline of what it looked like. It's Osbury University is a college in um, blanking. Can somebody tell me the state? Kentucky. Thank you. Osbury University is in Kentucky, and they've actually seen a number of what they would call revivals over the years. I did uh, just a quick Google search, and Google will tell you, or the website um, via Google will tell you, that there's probably been 10 since um, the 1800s through now. Every 20, 10, 15, 20 years kind of depends. There'll be a moment in a chapel service where um, people will feel the Holy Spirit in a greater way. Something like an awakening from God, the Holy Spirit reviving their hearts, and they just kind of like flock to that place. Like people don't want to leave it. So a chapel service started um, at Osbury University during the week, and it went ongoing 24-7 for more than a week. And people came into the prayer room, and they would, they would come, and they would just worship God. They would hear short teachings, and people would sing, not fancy flashing lights and big LED screens, really... If you picture this chapel in your mind, it looks something like a Catholic church. There's not a lot to it. Um, I actually don't even know that they have anything close to like lights that flash. It seems like um, there's a bunch of windows so you wouldn't be able to see them. But it's really cool because even in an environment like that where you kind of be like, oh, this is going to be dull and boring, um, God showed up in really amazing ways. And there were some people that I, that I know that went down there to visit this. They were like, i got to be in this place. I feel like the Holy Spirit is is touching down at this university in a way that he isn't in other places. And I want to experience it with this, this group of people that came. And they walked into the prayer room and they said the first time they looked at their watch, it had been like four hours and it felt like 10 minutes. And then they did it. They looked at their watch again. And they went, oh, 
it's been eight hours. We should probably go. We have kids at home or something like that, right? Um, so just incredible when the Spirit of God is in one place, what revival can do in our hearts and minds and change the atmosphere around us. Guys, over um, this, this small city, right, it, there were so many people coming to that city specifically that they, um, they closed it. Like the police like, closed the roads that were going into the city because there was nowhere for the people to go to park. It just created a bigger mess than, you know, was, was possible to deal with. Um, and there were so many people to get into the university that by the last couple of days before they um, ended up sending people back to their local churches, um, there was three to four hour waiting period that you had to stand in line to get in. Um, and they limited that line to people under the age of 24 or something like that. So still two to three hours with only 24 year olds. Uh, a lot of kids in high school, a lot of kids in families and with, with people under high school. But why do I tell you this? It's kind of uh, like, what is it? even mean. The video outlined a couple of the main points about like why we might want to see revival. We want to see change. We want to see change in our hearts. We want to see change in other people. We want to experience a revival right here on uh, this River of Life campus at, on our church. But more than that, guys, we want to experience a change in Elk River. I want to experience a change in Elk River. Do you guys want to see that your schools change? Maybe there could be like less drugs at your school. Maybe there could be like lots of people having sex randomly at your school. Maybe there could be like less stories of kids struggling with, with depression or attempting suicide. I would really, really like to see those things change. And one way that we can do that is obviously running deep into the presence of God on our very own, but it's also something that, that becomes tangible when the Holy Spirit um, honors our request to, to come. And the cool thing about revival is that there's always a change that follows revival. A, like a real social cultural change. You know, like um, social justice reforms have often been birthed out of revivals. Whole church movements have been birthed out of revivals. If you look into um, the book of Acts, we read this in Soap earlier this year. Some of those first chapters of Acts, you, you, you watch it and it's kind of creepy. Because, creepy, maybe not, but like freaky, I don't know, it just messes with my mind. When you think of Bible times when there's still a lot of people, but like probably a lot less than now, right? And Paul or one of the disciples goes and, um, probably Peter, not Paul, but Peter was, was speaking to the crowds. Like Peter, John, they would speak to these crowds, and all of a sudden, in the end of the chapter, it would say, and 3,000 were added to their number. 3,000? 3,000. How many people live in Elk River, Minnesota? You're going to answer? 5,000? Well, how many people? Like 25,000? I'd say it's pretty close. And if you include some of the surrounding cities like Otsego, Big Lake, Zimmerman, right? What are we looking at? What do you think? 40,000. 40, but still, if 3,000 were added, as they were in Acts, as the church moved and people shared the gospel, it would take like, what, seven days or something to reach all those people? So I'm not proposing that we're going to reach 3,000 people tomorrow, but what I am saying is this, okay? Revival first starts um, with this idea that we can make a difference, okay? And we want to make a difference because our world looks a lot like this. In 2 Timothy 2 or 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5, it says, but mark this, so remember this. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves. They'll be lovers of money. 
They'll be boastful. They'll be proud, abusive. They'll be disobedient to their parents. You can underline that one, especially. Your parents will appreciate you for it. Ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control. They'll be brutal, not lovers of the good teach, uh, not lovers of the good teachers. Oh, hey, look at that. Not lovers of the good. Treacherous, thank you. Rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. And then it says the last part, have nothing to do with such people. And just to dissect that for a quick second, that last part where it says have nothing to do with such people, that would be like maybe don't deep dive into a relationship like your very best friend be someone that could be described um, by that list. Obviously, we all disobey our parents. Myself included, still disobeys my parents at times. I try not to. I try to be really respectful when I'm around my parents. But it happens, right? And it happened a lot more when I was in high school because there was all those situations, you know, like this idea of making your bed before you leave in the morning. Do you guys do that? Yeah, I mean, neither. But my mom asked me to every day. How about, like, putting away your laundry? I, I always wanted to be really efficient, okay? So I waited at least until all the clothes were out of my my dresser, or until my laundry pile was tall enough that it was just, just enough to carry. And then I would empty it because that was the best use of my very limited time in high school. But hey guys, just don't disqualify people for have nothing to do with such people. Don't disqualify people just yet, okay? Because if we're gonna, if we're gonna change our city, if we're gonna change our church, if we're gonna step out into the world and actually be the change, right, that we wanna see, we have to be willing to have at least some form of relationship with these people, okay? And we'll get to that, right? Now, this is my favorite point out of this sermon, and I, I don't really do points all that much, but guys, this is really, really, really my favorite point. God's looking for humble hearts, not perfect people. So as I'm, I'm diving into this and studying a little bit, I'll be honest, I didn't have as much time as I might normally to study just because Easter weekend is busy when you work at a church. But I, I was thinking about this, this idea. I, I feel like in my own life recently, whether I'm being a dad or being a husband or being a friend, I'm always striving for what looks like perfection. I, I really want to be as close to perfect as I can be. But in doing so, it creates just a little bit of a problem for me. Because when I try to be perfect, when I strive for perfection, it brings a pride in me. And that pride it is not humility, it's the opposite of it, right? So what I really, really like about this idea of God looking for humble hearts is he, he really doesn't even want you to try for perfection. He wants you to be humble in your weakness. He wants you to be ready to follow under his authority. So if we look at this next verse, and we're jumping around between three, three passages here and kind of pulling um, from the context as they're talking about revival, they're talking about the church in their day. It says, um, previously in James here, it'll say um, some of what, what the church was struggling with in allowing God over control over their, their lives. But he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. It says then, submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. The best part about that verse, too, is right there. 
that the last little bit, because I fall under that, guys. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Not once are we ever going to reach this level of perfection that we no longer need to ask for forgiveness or fall under the grace that God is ready to offer to us. Not once are we going to ever do it good enough that we don't live double-minded to some extent. Because I find myself almost, sometimes I'm faced with a decision, right, I just kind of go like this, you know, okay, which Cole's going to answer this time? Do you guys ever do that? No? Nobody? You don't hit yourself? Oh, okay, okay. Just like this. Just to figure out which Cole's going to answer. Is it going to be the, the Cole that, that loves the things of the world? That wants to, to feel like worldly success? That wants to get rich quick? That wants to build a better house or have more money in my bank account or get the new iPhone that's bigger? Guys, I've really been feeling that one lately. My phone just feels way smaller than this iPad. It's, I want a bigger one. Do resist. Do resist temptation. Yeah. <laughs> but that's the thing, right? How are we going to respond? Are we going to respond with this attitude of humility where we can submit ourselves to God because we are going to, right there, resist the devil and he will flee from you, right? Resist temptation and he will flee from you. Submit yourselves to God. Be humble in all circumstances. I put that point up there for you. Striving for perfection brings pride, but admitting we are wrong helps create humility. Being able to admit that you are going to fall short is the opportunity to produce humility in your life. If I was to put this mic in front of you right now, and I just hold it out like this, and I said, okay, each one of you, just, just share with us like one little thing that has been messing with you lately. Maybe you just like struggled a lot or you stole a candy bar. You know, think small things, right? How willing would you be to jump up and say, oh yeah, 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 that was me. That, that was me. I, I was the one who like, you, do, you don't want it? Are you sure? I'm giving you a chance. But that's the thing though, right? Because that's what would produce humility. It's. And maybe that way is maybe creating more shame than anything and probably not the healthiest way to do it. But with that in mind, like when you go to your small group, you have an opportunity to turn to the people in your circle who, the leaders who honestly want the very best for you, who want to see you succeed. You've got my, myself, Jessica with the screaming Kaylee in the back. We want to see you succeed. And we'll help you, we'll walk alongside you. Kaylee wants to see you succeed. But you have to be willing to, to put yourself forward, right? Because if you don't put yourself forward and you turn to your small group leader and go like, yeah, I've got nothing to share. Message was cool. Worship was good. My life's pretty good. Yeah, homework's going okay. I have one late assignment. Dude, your late assignment is probably not what's messing with your spirituality. It's probably not what's keeping you from Jesus. The motivation behind it being late might be. But can you be really... Humble. Today. Let's start today. Because if we're going to see our city change, we're going to start today with being humble so that we can... So that we can be used by God. And it's not just you, okay? It's not just you. Your leaders are in small groups or on serve teams. 
where they have people around them that check in with them and say, yo, how have you been doing? What are you struggling with? What's going on in your life right now? Because it can't just be you guys. Yes, I totally believe in the youth revival thing. You guys are way more capable of inflicting change than adults because you can pivot your life like this. Like you could decide tomorrow that you're going to go into the ministry and just preach to people on the street corners or be a missionary to a foreign country or this country, right? More than an adult probably can. But it does. it's not just you. So watch as you become humble in front of your parents. Watch them shift the way that they talk to you or shift the way that they view what you do on Wednesday nights. It's going to be wild. And I really want to hear about it as you do it. All right, next one. We're going to be in Acts now. Right here, we were talking about it just a second ago. This is from one of the sermons that was being preached that led to thousands of people following Jesus. Acts 3 Verses 19 through 21. It says, Repent therefore and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come. Let's circle that one. Times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring, and the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. So they're talking about heaven receiving Jesus, right? That's when he went back to heaven. So we know the Easter story, right? Maybe you don't. I'll share it with you really quick, right? So Jesus died on the cross for us. Whipped, beaten, bruised, thrown on the cross. Crucified and buried. He was dead in the tomb for three days. Three days, three nights. He rose again. This, the stone rolled away by angels. He went out from the tomb and visited with people all over the place. Kind of had this really cool angelic feature where he could pop up in places after he was risen from the dead. He was, he was not as much in an entirely human state anymore. He was more spirit being than just human, but he still had his human body. So when the disciples said like, no, 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 it's not Jesus. Actually, uh, it was Thomas, right? He put his hands right into the holes on Jesus where he was nailed to the cross, which was likely down here in his wrist, because if you nail somebody by their hands, they're probably going to just rip out, which is really sad. But they would go right here through your wrist, and then it would stay on there. You wouldn't want your hand to rip out if you're on the cross. That'd be way worse than just staying there, probably. I don't know. Don't think about it too much, okay? And then uh, he also put his hand in his side where he had been pierced to make sure that he was, he was dead before they took him off the cross, right? Cool thing about Thomas, I going to digress here just for a second, but cool thing about Thomas that I actually love, not Thomas, Timothy, no, yeah, Thomas, that's the one, sorry, <clears throat> scattered, that's why I don't digress very much, Thomas, uh, a lot of times the Bible refers to him as doubting Thomas, right, which is probably true, he said that I will not believe that Jesus was risen from the dead until I put my hands inside of his, the holes in his, in Jesus' hands, and then also touch his side, so, like, Jesus literally was standing in front of him, and he still had to do it. Because he was like, ah, I must be seeing things, right? This guy's totally dead. And even though other people had already seen him, and he definitely wasn't in the ground because they already found that the tomb was empty. But here's the cool thing about Thomas. He's the only person in the Bible that touched Jesus 
or that's written in the Bible, that touched Jesus after he rose from the dead. So Jesus didn't say, oh, just because you're doubting me, Thomas, like, I'm not going to, like, let you. Because Thomas really was searching for truth. He wasn't doubting in sin. He wasn't doubting in saying, like, I don't want to be humble. I, I'm too proud to believe that this guy is dead. No, he said, I want to see him for myself. I want to experience Jesus for myself. Do you want to experience Jesus for yourself? The Holy Spirit for yourself? Ask like Thomas did. Say, Jesus, I want to feel your presence with me. I want to feel what it felt like when the disciples experienced the presence of God after, after Jesus rose from the dead. All right, last one. Last slide, that is. I have more things to say. Last point, though. Invite revival into your life through repentance. So focusing on this passage in Acts, getting away from the doubting Thomas thing that I took too long on. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out and that times of refreshing may come. How does that sound, you guys? Times of refreshing? Right there. Find it in repentance. Have you been feeling like the weather when it's 80 degrees out is a bit refreshing? Is it too refreshing? Too warm? Too warm? Bregan, I will be calling you on Saturday morning when it's raining and 40 degrees. Is it too warm then? No, and then you'll want the sun back when it's 80 and you're sweating a little bit. All right, hey, 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 we'll talk to the Elk River High School and tell them to turn the AC on. Don't worry. All right, all right. But that's how, that's how quick it happens. Minnesota is actually a great example of what God bringing new refreshing in your life can look like. Because, guys, we always skip spring. We have a false spring. It happens in February. It's about 40 degrees for a week. Then we get a hard freeze. And then we have to wait. And we waited. And we waited. And it wasn't until Easter weekend that we experienced this warm weather, right? But it was that quick, and that's exactly how quick it can be in your life. That's exactly how quick it can be in your school. That's exactly how quick it can be in your home. If you want to truly experience refreshing from the Holy Spirit, we follow this really simple outline. First, understand that you can make a difference. That your life is not too far gone, that your circumstances are not too far gone, that Elk River, the high school, Big Lake, Zimmerman, Princeton, Otsego, Rogers, Name them all. They're not too far gone. Monticello, I won't forget it. Sorry. I just can't go too far out. We just keep going further. <laughs> we can make a difference. They're not too far gone. Those people, those, those things are not too far gone, and you can change it. Two, God's looking for you to be humble, not to be perfect. Humility comes twofold. We're going to talk to the second fold next time. It's humility towards the people around us. First, we start with ourselves. God, start with ourselves first because Jesus said, don't take the log, no, no, don't take the speck out of someone else's eye before you take the log out of your own, right? Meaning like, don't try to fix someone else's little problem while you got this huge problem hanging out in your eye or your life, okay? We'll talk about that next week. But this week, it's all about us. How can you step out in humility and say that, you know what, I can't do this without God, but I want to do it. I want to be the change. I want to see the change. I want to make a difference. And then number three, 
invite revival into your life through repentance. So I want to take this twofold, this invite revival into your life. So we lay our sin, our shame, our life down in humility, and we invite Jesus and repentance into our life. That's the first fold. Second is to do it with other people. Okay? That's going to happen in your small group tonight. But I really think for a couple individuals that there are people outside of this room who you can invite to join you on this journey of chasing revival for our city, for our schools, for the people around us. This is a big room, guys. We can fit a lot of people in here that want to hear about Jesus. And not just so I can talk to them, because I don't want to talk to them all the time. It's so they can experience change, so we can, we can actually see our city impacted for God. All right? So let's just take a few seconds. I just want to take like 30 seconds. Colin, can you throw some contemplative music on? Just for a second. 30 seconds. I'm literally going to watch the clock. 30 seconds is going to go by. And then I'll say a quick prayer and you guys can head to small group. But what I want you to do with this 30 seconds, okay? Take a second. Ask God for help being humble. And who you can walk in relationship and revival with. That might be your small group. That might be someone outside this room. So just take those 30 seconds right now. to be humble in inviting others into revival with us. God, I ask um, specifically for those of us who might hear this, this phrase revival and just think, uh, yeah, I've heard that before. Heard this idea before. It's really not that, it's not that easy, not that simple. God, I ask for a spirit of humility even over that, that mindset in myself, God. I've heard it before, I've thought about it before, I've wanted to see it happen before. But God, I ask that as my friends here in this room and I come before you, humbly God, that you would just give us opportunity to invite others, to invite you, to invite our small groups into repentance and humility together. That we'd be able to lay down who we are for the sake of the gospel for the sake of Jesus, so that we can all make our world a better place to live in, a place where we can experience joy, freedom, and your Holy Spirit. We love you, God. Amen.